when I quit my old job and I wanted to get into the fitness industry full time, I, I kind of did it in the most ballsiest way. I was unemployed with the exception of spin instructor income from True Ride for about two or three weeks. And like obviously I had some pay from the old job. I had been there for over five years. So I was good for a bit, but I was definitely in panic mode when I was scrolling through Facebook and Andrew Coates had done a status and it was like he needed somebody in the Edmonton area to clear snow paid gig. And duh, like I can clear snow. I like paid gigs. So I responded right away. Like I just kind of figured like how, how hard is it to fill a role like that? Like when it's like two in the afternoon, like not everybody is just scrolling through Facebook at two in the afternoon. So I figured I was his guy and he appreciated it big time. We worked together on that driveway, uh, clearing away like foot tall chunks of snow. And we were there for a few hours and I got paid very, very well by his client. It was, it was one of his clients that needed the driveway cleared so that uh, I believe it was so Epcor could get at the utilities. And it was just that moment that sort of set an impression with Andrew that uh, sort of inspired him to be someone that would help me out along in my career. And there came a point where uh, it, was, it was time to come to Evolve and Andrew made that extremely easy for me. So it just kind of goes to show you that uh, in whatever pursuits that you are doing, it's very likely that you will meet people for a reason. You will be in a situation for a reason. And if you have the right attitude, it can go very well for you. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. Proudly hosted by me, Chris Little. Without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, episode 58. I am joined by Andrew Coates. How are you doing today? I'm good. Just came from the gym, roster full of clients, all positive. Sweet. So if there was one thing that had to happen every day, what would it be? in the morning I'm not a morning ritual person if you read a lot of the books about successful people you will hear stories of rituals uh, it goes to something I just wrote um, if you're familiar with the concept of survivorship bias I think there could be a lot of good things to having a ritual but you're also listening to people who've been successful for reasons of luck being a large part of it uh, hard work uh, work ethic um, sometimes it's financial resources, sometimes it's timing. There's a lot of things that go into this stuff. And whether or not someone meditates or does yoga or has a green smoothie or prays, <laughs> maybe a very tiny piece and probably doesn't explain much of their success. There's probably a lot of other things. So for me, I, I eat my normal breakfast. I'm not in a rush. I have a cup of coffee and uh, yeah, and then I go into work. So I'm, I'm not rushed. Sleep is a pretty big one for you, right? Like, if, uh, what would, how would your day be affected if you got four hours of sleep in comparison to the amount of sleep you regularly aim for? I wouldn't be very pleasant to deal with. <laughs> it's not fun to be yeah. short on sleep, but anyone who's listening would probably have the experience where you ended up short on sleep, be it you couldn't get asleep the night before, or had a late one, a couple of drinks, or, you know, maybe it's someone who actually chronically struggles with sleep. Uh, something I've been studying a lot about, and I'm going to try to dive more into it, 
Sleep permeates every aspect of your life. You are functionally impaired. Your reaction time is slowed, which is bad for driving, amongst other things. Imagine shift workers like doctors and nurses, um, EMTs, police officers, when they have to make judgment calls and save lives, how that affects them. So this is something that is pervasive in our society, and yet people aren't talking about. And it's as bad as you know being impaired with alcohol. So if it's if you're struggling with your sleep, there's a whole lot of stuff that you can do to help make it better. Um, I'll give some very specific examples. This one is the timing of your caffeine early in the day. You know, if you're having coffee five hours before bed, you think, hey, it's okay, the half-life of coffee, caffeine is a lot longer than that. So it's still gonna be in your system whether or not you feel it. Uh, alcohol before bed is a major disruptor of sleep, even just that one beer or drink. Um, if your room is too warm, if you are exposed to blue light, this is a big one that's more of a modern problem. We have tablets, devices, and if you're a parent and you think about kids in front of television screens or, or these tablets, this isn't good for t children. They're developing, their brains are still developing. You know, we're adults and you know, it, it affects us enough. So can you know, imagine kids and teenagers, it's even worse. But the blue light waves that we get from the natural settings on laptops, televisions, uh, cell phones and, and tablets is really disruptive to sleep. It sends this signal to us to that it's daytime, that we're supposed to be awake. So it suppresses melatonin, natural melatonin release production, which means that we have trouble falling asleep and it affects our sleep quality. So for me, I go to bed eight hours before I know I have to get up. For some people, it's recommended that you actually set a very regular time. I find I don't get up unless I have a reason to. I'm a bit of a night owl versus a morning lark type, uh, chronotype, and therefore, it's really important for me to set my bedtime based on the number of hours I need to sleep. If I have a later start in the day, I'll actually sleep in a little bit more and it feels fine. The, the myth of having to be the early riser to be successful is also another myth. Um, it, our society is sort of built that way, but um, there's a lot of people who are sacrificing too much sleep to get up early to go to the gym. And the benefits that they would get from their exercise, their nutrition, all their other efforts are, are being diminished just simply because their sleep quality is, is garbage. Makes sense. So if you could pick out three people that uh, you looked up to 10 years ago, who would they be? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'll probably twist the question a little bit because there are people I actually look up to, I suppose. I think that um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is, is a really cool guy in the sense that he seems to have a lot of integrity. He's a good example of someone who's famously known or at least believed to have Poor, have poor sleep. I mentioned him in the article I wrote about survivorship bias, we referred to, where he's successful for a hell of a lot of reasons. He's charismatic. He seems very authentic and genuine. Authentic and genuine. He's hardworking. I mean, there may not be anybody harder working in the industry than him. He's not successful because he doesn't sleep as much. And that may even be more myth than reality. I think it's true some of the time. But he's someone that I think just exudes positivity. He's an honorable person, you know, on the surface. You can, you can usually see through people. If you follow star athletes, you kind of know who are the good guys and who are the pieces of shit. You look at a guy like Kobe Bryant, and he just exudes this shitty, smug arrogance that, that it comes out in sexual assault allegations that if they're untrue, he was still, you know, cheating on his wife, and he didn't get along with teammates. And, and as good as he was, you know, it's fairly apparent that he's kind of a shitty human being. And you can pick up on athletes who, no matter what goes on with them, they actually just seem to be genuine good guys, right? With the amount of 
media attention, social media, a camera in everybody's pocket. If somebody really famous, if just nothing ever bubbles to the surface that even remotely resembles something bad, well, there's a pretty good chance they're probably a decent person. Look at someone like Keanu Reeves. Just story after story comes out about this guy just being a nice, humble person. So here's number two right there is Keanu Reeves. Is someone I've, we've been paying more attention to him lately, but he's been around a long time. Again, he's very giving. He's generous. He has had an enormous array of success. And he lives very humbly. He seems to be a very class act when it comes to you know every walk of life. He's had a bit of a sad, tragic life as the stories go. But uh, he, there, there just simply are no examples of him throwing tantrums on movie sets like Christian Bale, who again is another example of a guy who seems to be kind of an arrogant piece of shit. Totally. Um, so I think if you're going to look at Hollywood, I don't think Hollywood is a good place to look for role models and, and positive people, but at least if you're going to be paying attention to stuff, look at the, the people who seem to actually be decent human beings. Dwayne Johnson, I think Keanu Reeves are two really good examples. I'm not really sure who else sort of stands out like that. I am not particularly enamored with any major you know, tech industry people. Steve Jobs is a good example of survivorship bias where Jobs is an arrogant asshole. He was incredibly successful because he's a brilliant visionary, but he treated people like garbage. He got fired from his own company and only after learning some lessons was he given an opportunity to come back and, and then lead Apple on the course to the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, and well, now it's one of the most powerful companies in the world. I don't particularly admire big tech people because I think a lot of these companies are, they have a little bit too much control over what people think. And I'm not a paranoid conspiracy theorist in that walk, but you know, there's starting to be some concerns about their control over freedom of speech and, and what people are allowed to say and, and being allowed to be on certain platforms. So not a big fan of that sort of stuff. So I tend to be less about individuals, although there are people I like, and more about qualities and characters characteristics, um, integrity, you know, just genuinely being a decent person, that sort of stuff. That makes sense. If you were to describe your life before entering the fitness industry, what would it be like? Like, what, what did you do? Where did you live? I would describe it as being <laughs> wasting a lot of potential. I grew up in St. Well, I grew up in Newfoundland. St. John's Newfoundland is, is home, um, where my family all still are to this day. Uh, I went to university there and then worked there for a number of years. There's not At that time, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. Now it's a little bit better. Uh, it was a place where I owned a, a martini nightclub, an after-hours nightclub. I worked in bars. I worked for a bank briefly. I worked in various other jobs that weren't very fulfilling. And eventually I decided to leave just because you know the, the party lifestyle of that environment was was too much. You know It just became too, too much. And various good friends of mine had left. And... Sort of the, the bad friends that stuck around. So eventually it's just my time to, to change scenery. So I came here to Edmonton 13 years ago. And my first job was uh, working in a casino. I quickly was dealing poker. And I became a very proficient poker dealer. To this day I still have players and former coworkers now training with me just because they knew my work ethic and integrity with that career. And that's an industry where not everybody approaches it with much integrity. You see a lot of laziness and a lot of shitty behavior, um, and plus there's also an environment of, of uh, drinking addiction and, and it, there's a lot of negative stuff there. So I did that for three and a half to four years between poker dealing and, and supervising. But fitness had always been a, at least a cornerstone in my life. There were little chunks where I got away from it for the most part since my early-ish 20s, 24. Um, I've been a fixture in the gym, you know, 
four to five days a week. Now it's more like seven. And every good thing that's ever happened in my life has directly or indirectly been the result of uh, being fit, being involved in, in fitness and working out a lot. I was approached repeatedly off the floor in the gym that I had joined here in Edmonton to come and work for them as a trainer. Of course, I dismissed it right away. I wasn't interested. But after a little while, I gave it a shot. And I remember my first week being completely overwhelmed and going, how the hell am I going to do this stuff? And then it kind of worked out a little bit in the end. So nine, just shy of nine years later, uh, the industry has been really good to me. But yeah, I just started out on the gym floor. Uh, I was, industry was very different than it is now. There was no social media, at least not the way it is now. No Instagram. So there was a lot less competition in the industry. So there was a number of big box gyms. Boutique studios were rare. And people walked in and they signed up and you were assigned clients and it was pretty easy to get filled up back then. We had good salespeople. And then pretty quickly I was able to maintain, uh, renew my own clientele base. Um, it went, went, went well early on. So I guess there's a lot of good fortune, some luck, a lot of experience with just trading for myself, but a lot to learn over the years. I'm still learning. Then I became very good at generating referral business from my existing clientele base and a lot of the, the gym population would walk up and I would get floor business from them. And that was a function of just standing out physically, but also acting with professionalism, integrity, <laughs> little pet peeves of mine that I sort of relaxed on, but things like having your phone out in your hand while you're training or um, certainly, you know, if you're going to be working in the fitness industry, you need to be engaged in focusing on your client. You know, they're paying good money for that time. Um, I've watched trainers who are just completely disengaged. Um, they're sitting lazily. I mean, sitting is one thing if you're really engaged in mirroring someone's posture, but if you're, if you're being lazy and disengaged, it's a whole different thing. I, I've just observed a lot of stuff that, you know, if I was a potential client looking at, I would go, I would never train with that person. So, you know, for young fitness professionals, because I know that you've got trainers who listen to this, uh, there's so much you can do to just be a really professional, engaged person who really cares about your clients. Like, give a shit. Work at it. And then as people see you, these are people who would have said to me, who are clients of mine, I never imagined I would ever hire a trainer, but I knew you'd be the trainer I would hire. And after a while, it turns out they actually did, or those people referred people to you. So if you see someone in the gym who is the sort of person that you don't ever believe would ever walk up to you and hire you, smile at them, be personable, smile at everybody in the gym environment. Be that engaging person that, you know, you got the, the girl who's got her cap down over her eyes and she doesn't want guys to bother her. Okay, well, don't be up in her space either. But at the same time, if you end up in the same space and make eye contact, smile. Be nice, right? Let it be known that they're acknowledged. Give them a nod of approval. Uh, if you see someone who's brand new and trying, especially anyone who is struggling with their weight, it's probably pretty challenging for them to even get into the gym in the first place. Just nods of approval. And especially, you know, you get a big muscular guy who's just a member and sees someone like that and then you're nodding at them going, hey, you know, it's good to see you here, keep going. That can completely diffuse the scariness of a gym for those people and keep them coming back. And it might be enough just to help them stick with it and make major lifestyle changes. Totally. So, just some of my philosophy about this stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you looked back on your high school experience, what's something that stood out? What's like maybe a year that was memorable or a teacher that stood out? High school feels like someone else's life. I just feel like it's so far away. It's like it happened to a different person. It's sort of like a set of watching a movie versus kind of actually being in tune with it. It just did. I mean, it's just a different person. I don't really know if it had a lot to do with 
shaping who I am right now. I grew up in a really, really tiny town, so I went to school in a small, small town, my father's hometown. And unfortunately, due to the, the fact that my father was the, the local business owner, by comparison, relatively speaking, I was a rich kid and I was the smart kid. I was the one who always had the best grades and that didn't necessarily make me uh, make me popular with a lot of the, the regular kids who, you know, they their parents didn't necessarily have what my parents did. So I didn't have a lot of friends in, in school. So academically it was fine, I played sports, but I just didn't have much of a social life. That sort of took off when I got to university when I met a lot more like-minded people, I suppose. I grew up a little bit. So I had a handful of good teachers. I also had some teachers that I don't think were anything special. So I don't have a special answer. I really don't think there was anything special good or bad out of my high school experience. But I think feeling that sort of uh, not necessarily being the most popular person can build in a lot of empathy, which is a desire desirable trait for many trainers. You better have empathy if you're going to be a trainer. Absolutely. Uh, I see trainers who I don't think that they necessarily have empathy. I've worked with people in the past who enter the staff room and while they put on a great, great show about, yeah, you're on my team. Uh, but then the moment that that hour is done, they come in, the mask comes off and then they start complaining about their clients or how exhausting these people are. And, and I hear that attitude and I'm like, you have no appreciation for just how lucky you are to have those people in the first place. And they need your help. I am really great friends with a lot of my clients, especially some of my earlier clients. I've been to weddings and invited to weddings uh, and various other things. Again, like I said earlier about all the good stuff that's come in my life, most of my really close friends in my life I've met as they were gym members. Uh, a few were originally clients. Uh, <laughs> there are two clients of mine actually have a key to my home because one takes care of my place and the other one looks after my cat when I'm away. So these people are, are close enough to me that I trust them with, you know, key to my house. It's just, it's astonishing to me that people shut it off and just don't care about or appreciate the people that are working with them. Um, and that doesn't usually last very long. Those people, people start seeing through it or they're, they're turning over clients more aggressively. They don't form long-term relationships or they just wash out of the industry altogether. Totally. I think, uh, there is definitely like two kinds of trainers that can end up in the industry and like it can be the trainer that is kind of looking at, at themselves in the mirror all the time and it can be the <laughs> trainer that's looking at their clients and seeing progress in their clients and taking pride and joy for that role that they're privileged to have. Um, my next question would be, if you could identify one article that stands out from T Nation that really shaped you in your training career. Can you pick one out? There's one that I remember really, really prominently, um, and it's sort of poignant because, uh, so uh, if anyone's familiar with an author named Martin Rooney, so Martin's been around the industry a long time. He's probably one of the most charismatic and energetic people. And Martin's, like, he's got to be approaching 50. So this is going to sound really ridiculous, but he just accepted a Facebook friend request of mine. I was like, yeah, cool, Martin. But I met him a couple of years ago <clears throat> at a, an event in Seattle and sat down and had dinner with him. He's great to talk to, really intelligent, really, really, just truly charismatic. There's a reason why he's successful. So there's an old T Nation article uh, when I used to read it every morning. So for some background, um, it was actually one of the first resources that I used to read all the time for my own training knowledge, but also to be a better trainer. And Martin ha has a video accompanying his article on <coughs> standing overhead pressing. 
So a decade ago, we're coming out of this era where everything was functional. It had LBT Rx's and BOSU balls and kettlebells. And a lot of the big compound exercises were bad, were unilaterally considered to be bad because, oh, they're, they're going to hurt you. Shoulder pressing is going to hurt you. Dips are going to hurt you. Bench press is going to hurt you. Squats and deadlifts are going to hurt you, which it's all bullshit. I mean, if you do them correctly, if you load them properly with the right person, considering your injury history, everything is good or, or everything can be bad if you use it improperly. So Martin goes and does overhead press in a gym, and next thing you know, the police come and he's doing something he's not supposed to be doing, and they haul him away. And that that article always stood out for me. So, but yeah, I've read it over the years, and a lot of people that I've later on gone on to to get to meet, or and in in some cases become very good friends with, uh, people like Brett Contreras or Tony Gentilcore. Obviously, Dean Somerset is, uh, you know, someone who I've worked a closely with through the same companies for you know my entire fitness career almost like with just little gaps um, you know reading and absorbing their information then traveling to seminars to see them speak and you know getting to sit down and have dinner and hang out with some of these people is is un unbelievable and then the surreal aspect is now writing for that same publication that you know I've been reading for 10 plus years um, and absorbing all this information from so that's pretty cool out of all the seminars you've been to so far which one stands out to you the most the first Kansas City Fitness Summit. Every seminar I've gone to, I've met great people. I've had an amazing experience. The Kansas City one was the eye-opener. That was the first one. I went down there and uh, Dean was presenting and my friend Hannah Gray, um, who's also involved with us in the downtown, she also traveled down. And so we get there and I met a lot of the people. Well, I brought you last year. And so the first year I would have met, I'm trying to think, I'm not, there would have been some of the people you've met, uh, people like TJ and Chase I met the following year when I went down to year two, and last year was year three. But I met a lot of the industry. I met Sohili, I met Brett Contreras, I met Spencer Nadolsky, I met Robbie Farlow and Carter Good and Greg Knuckles and Andy Morgan, and, and I can name drop you know for hours, but a lot of really good people. And you find that the people who've been really successful are very down to earth, and then you find the people who are on similar footing to you or in the same places are really awesome people so you can connect with people who you're experiencing the same things but you also get to interact with people who've been there and and moved on and been really really successful with it so that was life-changing um, inspired me to work harder seek new direction the connections through the industry open up opportunities where you know we had a ton of guests for the podcast that materialized after the fact or it set in motion the connections that ultimately led to a writing gig with T Nation and just more overall industry success. So it just showed me what was out there and just being a session churner, you know, by this point I'd already left the old commercial gym, but still just being a session churner and, and that is lucrative. It, it pays well, especially if you do it well, but there's a lot more to it than that. So growing beyond that and, and not being confined or restricted into this, this model that a commercial gym teaches you how to do. Totally. So out of all of the advice you may have received from people that you met at the summits and seminars, um, what are like three that really stand out to you? I don't know if I can remember a single piece of like targeted advice from individuals. I just picked up on a lot of stuff along the way. I, I'm not sure. I, Mark Fisher. Mark Fisher is a really, really wonderful human being. And this is more just Mark's greater message versus anything he specifically said. But Mark treats people with unconditional positive regard is the phrase he uses. And I like that. Where, a good example, when we're driving 
everybody else on the road is, is the enemy. They're the bad guy in our minds. You think about it. Think about what you would kind of do and act while you're behind the wheel of a car versus how you would interact with that same person if you're standing in front of them in the supermarket. These people are not... People in your life, your clients, people who you encounter, are not out to make your life worse. They're not. Just like you, they're having bad days. They're, they're having relationship struggles. There's stuff going on with their kids. Work life's stressful. There's other stuff on their mind. They're not willfully trying to do anything to make your life more difficult. Sometimes it sort of feels that way. But when you pause and stop to realize that these people are not acting maliciously, and they are not trying to make your day worse, you can remember that they're, they're just human beings too. They're just people who are trying to be happy, they're trying to get by, they're trying to deal with whatever they're dealing with. And you start also realizing too, the little things that we do that might be inconsiderate, we can be really careful not to ruin someone else's day by driving like an asshole or just being thoughtless in general. And sometimes something as simple as smiling at someone or holding a door for someone. And yeah, half the time someone might not even like acknowledge the fact you did it. But sometimes those little tiny positive things that you can do for someone can make enough of a difference in someone's day to remind them, hey, you know, not everybody out there is selfish and, and a bad person. So that one for me is a pretty good takeaway. So something Brett Contreras said, we were talking at one of the Kansas City Fitness Summits and when he came on our podcast, we actually talked about it because it hit home for me, is he doesn't like the use of language that makes people sound broken. Telling people that they're damaged, dysfunctional, that they're injured, that they're hurt, these sort of things. You want to focus on the positives. You don't want to make people scared of movement. You don't want to make people anticipate that they're going to experience pain. Um, make it fun, make the experience great for them, but get them stronger. Learn what potentially doesn't work for them, what could possibly hurt them, know their injury history, how they move, and then work around that to the point where you do things that they feel good doing. So. But just be very careful as a fitness professional not to say to someone, oh, your, 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 your discs are all fucked up on your back. Or Not that anybody would use that kind of language, but it, physiotherapists even can be guilty of stuff. Trainers, certainly, you could say, oh, this is imbalance. Or they, who gives a shit about imbalances? It, imbalances are a normal part of everyday life. I always like to use the example of if we always see that someone's dominant hand is stronger than their offhand. And sure, you know, for dumbbell pressing or dumbbell rowing or whatever, we, we try to train them evenly just to make sure that gradually over time they get they get more even. But imagine trying to take a basketball player and have them learn to shoot free throws with their offhand. That would be a complete and utter waste of time. It would be of no value to them. So why would we do it? They're always going to be better and stronger with their dominant hand. And it doesn't hurt them. And in the case of NBA players, they're making a hell of a lot of money by being really good at shooting with their dominant hand. So we would just be completely wasting time and there's no harm to these people. Yes, there are real functional imbalances that actually cause pain and discomfort. If you've ever trained a dentist or a nurse or someone who is always in the same body position, leaning over people, there could be some ergonomic issues with that. There are actual ergonomic issues with, you know, a lot of workplaces. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I, I find sometimes newer trainers are always caught up in imbalances and asymmetry and stuff like this. You don't even know what that stuff is most of the time. And I let a really brilliant physiotherapist assess if there's actually something real going on. Meanwhile, let's just get someone moving, make sure it's really, really fun, get them stronger, uh, make sure that they're, they're having such a good experience and good relationship with you that they want to come back. And then weight's going to come off. They're going to just start eating better even before you start talking about it because they're active. 
they're going to get stronger. A lot of those aches and pains and discomforts that happen to be there, most of the time, those tend to go away on their own. Like you're not going to have someone's fully torn ACL repair itself, but you know, if someone who has like slight knee pain and discomfort, you teach them how to squat well and move, and their legs get stronger. Most of the time, that knee pain stops happening. Totally. What's the most rewarding experience you've ever had with a client? If you could pick up one moment. Oh, there's been too many over the years to even count, but as oh, one guy, one guy maybe. There's a lot of these, but. When I first met him, he was 370 pounds, and he'd been referred to me by a client of mine, they were coworkers, and he'd just gone through a bad breakup, and he was crying in the office in front of me, and he was, he was depressed. So he signed on, he actually signed on for a big package, made a large commitment, that would have lasted about six months, and we started training. And then he lost a lot of weight really quickly, um, water weight just through changing dietary habits, so he was motivated. He's very strong, he enjoyed the training process, we became fast friends, and years later, this is where I'll go to, I got to go to his wedding. But he really enjoyed it. He thrived upon lifting heavy, feeling strong. And over the course of that six months, I think it was a little longer than that, because he did stay around longer. He went from 370 pounds to 310 pounds and almost 300. He's always going to be a bigger man, and he's actually pretty happy, but it completely changed him and his confidence. And then he managed to put aside this broken relationship. He started dating someone else. That relationship didn't quite work out, but that led him to the doorstep of a really wonderful woman who he did start dating. And so, like I said, I got to go to their wedding. It was one of the coolest experiences I can remember. It was one of like three best weddings I've ever been to. Uh, they had a band, one of their favorite band played at it. And now they now have a daughter. I think their daughter's probably three or four. And he just has a really happy life. He's had a really, really cool life. And you know, from going where the first time I met him to where he is right now, and I'm very loath to take much credit for it. I don't like taking credit for people's hard work. I think trainers are too quick to take credit for things they didn't do. But it's really cool to see someone change their life. If it's losing weight, sure. Losing weight on its own doesn't guarantee feeling more confident, being happier. You have to address the underlying stuff. But he came out a happier, stronger, more confident person. And he's got a really rich life right now. So Yeah, I like that. Just the whole going full circle from the guy being completely crushed to you being there for probably one of the happiest moments of his life. Yeah, it was I was honored to be included in that. Yeah, totally. Um, out of all the clients that you've trained, there's probably been some that have approached you wanting training and maybe you've had to turn them down. Like, has that ever happened to you in your career? It's rare. I have. Uh, I've had a couple of former clients, actually, who I, I did have experiences with early on. Um, one just wasn't reliable, never showed up for anything, had a very strong anti-science, paranoid, conspiracy theorist bias. We're talking about, uh, and, and someone listening to this is going to you know, get mad but because they, they believe along these lines, but uh, very anti-vaccine, you know, and vaccines cause autism, only eats organic food and a variety of other stuff, and just was painfully unreliable. And then the second one, unfortunately, just grew up in a difficult environment, dealt with addiction issues, and I, I believe to some degree, for lack of a better way of saying this, forgive me if it's not politically correct, but was developmentally delayed, um, major impulse control issues, and I was actually sabotaging his his girlfriend, who was also a client of mine, that's where, where he sort of came from, um, and he just had no capacity to do otherwise. So when I went independent, both did in fact contact me, 
Um, the, the gentleman with the, the de developmentally delayed uh, issues, I politely just declined him. Um, he had defaulted on a payment package in the previous place I was at. And I just don't believe that he's someone that I would have been able to do anything with. I just don't think it, he's someone who I felt ethically I'd even take his money, but I, I didn't want to deal with the, the headaches that I knew would come with it. And then the, the other client, the, the one with the anti-science bias, I did allow sort of a token effort and I booked time to sit down. It was canceled. Uh, and then we booked a second time. She didn't show up and she didn't think to tell me and she happened to be on a plane just flying off somewhere else. So at that point I just broke off any contact and, and I refused to make any further efforts to try to bring this person in. As a trainer early on, yeah, you have to take kind of everything. You certainly shouldn't be working with clients who are outside of your skill set. If you don't know anything about Olympic lifting, don't teach Olympic lifting. Totally. Uh, you know, if you don't know anything about dieting people to get them up on competition stage, you shouldn't be doing it. And we like to make the joke, you know, oh, you've done one bikini show and all of a sudden now you're DM me for coaching. If you actually know what the hell you're doing and you love it, okay, fine. Some people have never competed. That's not my thing. But outside of that, you're going to be working with a broad array of people. And then over time, you'll develop the ability to say, no, um, this person and what they're looking for isn't something I'm interested in dealing with. So, But I, yeah, I've worked with hundreds of clients, many, many, many hundreds of clients. And I've probably had less than five bad experiences with clients. I think I've been fortunate. At this point right now, I think anyone who's in front of me is not someone who's getting sold at the front desk of a commercial gym. They are being referred directly to me. They they know who I am by reputation. So that already filters people out. So I'm just not getting people in front of me who are really going to be much of a problem. Every once in a while I get someone who is well-intentioned but just can't commit to reliability and scheduling and unfortunately those people just kind of filter themselves too but yeah they're not bad people well i think a lot of what it comes down to is like being out there like for yourself you talk a lot about having a presence in the gym greeting people um you write a lot of articles you uh attend a lot of events um you have a very strong referral base and those are going to be people that sort of align with you so any referrals that they send to you are going to be with the intention that they see that alignment and so that's that's helpful. That's what I like about uh, the business structure of Evolve because we tend to get clients more naturally than if someone's like in a room and just divvied out to whoever has a vacancy. Yeah, and in the commercial gym setting, sometimes you get you know, the manager who decide this stuff will assign people based on best fit. I never took, after my very, very first, you know, several months to a year or whatever, I never took anyone from that anymore. It was always just my own clientele that I, I took care of. Every once in a blue moon, I would be asked to take a special case, someone that they just didn't feel anyone else could handle. Um, one guy was just out of jail, swastika tattoo, not that I'm cool with that, but earlier in your career, you you roll with things that later in your career you realize you would never tolerate. If today someone showed up to ask me to train and I saw a visible swastika tattoo, I'd be like, no, go away. Um, I've actually coached three people with swastika tattoos, which is a weird That's thing. a weird statistic. That's a weird statistic. One guy is actually a really super awesome dude, grew out of some really shitty belief systems a long time ago, uh, and I think the tattoo is associated with more of a, a music band symbol rather than any belief system of his own. People can change. This is a good human. Uh, second one spent some time in jail. I think it was sort of jailhouse type stuff and was really trying to turn his life around and get back on track. 
and my experience with him was really positive, and I never saw any, any racist or shitty behavior outside of the tattoo. The third guy was the, the client I mentioned was a piece of shit, and I don't like speaking disparagingly of clients or former clients, but this one is an exception. A couple of times almost started fights in the gym with other male members who were looking a little too hard at his girlfriend. He obviously had you know, behavioral issues. He didn't stick around for the full run of sessions, and I don't think anybody missed him when he disappeared, so... Who knows where he went? Probably back in jail. I guess so. So, you're a pretty big jacked dude. I don't imagine you have too many self-conscious issues now, but I might be assuming. Um, has there ever been a time in your life when you just felt like, man, I need to be more strong? Or have you always been strong? That's probably what started this. So, when I was 24, I mean, I dabbled in the gym before. Me and my university girlfriend would go sometimes, we weren't consistent. I played high school sports constantly. I was always very athletic basketball, cross-country skiing, got a couple of provincial silver medals from cross-country skiing when I was probably about 12, I gave it up at 13. At 24 years of age, I always joke about this because there's a very specific story here. If you want to know how long the movie uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King is, it's the third one, it's three and a half hours long, I entered the theater on a date and I felt fine. About halfway through, I didn't feel very good. Two-thirds of the way through, I felt felt like I was going to die. And then near the end, I mean, I'm just sweating and, and sick. And I'd gotten one of the worst flus I've ever experienced in my life. Not just a cold, but we're talking a full-blown flu. And then it knocked me out for two weeks. It was really, really bad stuff. And I had lost some weight, and I was down to 170 pounds. And again, I'm six foot two, and anyone who knows me, I walk around at 260. And I'm not soft either, so I'm not a small human. So then I remember being 170 and going, oh, this, this is crap, I feel terrible. So I got serious about the gym, and I, I remember for the next seven months and beyond, I got really, really good about it, you know, four to five times a week. Yes, I used to still skip leg day sometimes. You would do the proverbial Monday chest, Tuesday back, Wednesday shoulders. Thursday you'd skip legs maybe, maybe you did for arms on Friday, and then we would still go drink and party on the weekends. But it got me going, and I gained 40 pounds of lean muscle. I was 210 pounds. Of, part of that is a rebound from having the flu, so some of that came back naturally. And, but by the end of that, it was 210 pounds. There were no steroids involved with that. Um, that was eating a lot of food and training consistently, and then that changed everything. And then I probably was really stable at about that 205, 210 mark for several years. And then in the time around when I moved here, there had been some time interrupted with me being consistent at the gym. but. Within a few months of being back in or being in Edmonton, I started back, joined the gym that I eventually ended up working at, and then gradually and consistently continued to build, uh, get bigger and bigger over time. But a lot of this stuff, I was bullied in high school. That was one of the things I didn't enjoy about it. I was an outsider kid, and I was picked on relentlessly. It wasn't a fun experience. Didn't always feel particularly confident. So if you look at those big guys, you can malign the big guys as being oh, insecure and overcompensating, but a lot of guys who work out really hard and, and train regularly, yeah, it may have been rooted in something along those lines. And I don't think it's a bad thing to be motivated by, oh, shit, I was bullied. It was a shitty experience. I wasn't confident. You know, girls didn't look at me in high school. And then you want to change that. So guys get involved in weightlifting or playing guitar and playing in bands or play hockey or whatever. They, they do it to, to be more attractive to women or other men for that matter. So I don't think there's anything wrong with those kind of motivations, and I don't think that's always what's there. Today I go to the gym because it's my default setting for me to consider missing a workout. I'll work out after this. 
would be more emotionally distressing to, to consider not working out than it would be to try to talk myself into a workout. And you think about how many people it's like, oh, they have to build themselves on willpower to go to the gym. I have to apply willpower to not go to the gym. And I managed to flip that on its ear a long time ago. So it's my default setting. It's what I do. It's, it's very much a core part of my identity. And something that I really found useful, uh, I used to write about this sort of thing. And then uh, my friend James Fell wrote a book about this. So I'll mention the book. It's called The Holy Shit Moment. And I do have a bit of a pet peeve about books that use swearing in the titles because I think it's generally cheap sensationalism to sell book titles but this book is actually sensational and it really gets dials into the whole idea of bypassing willpower by channeling what your core identity is or, or changing what your core identity is I use the example because I coach EPS applicants I have a relationship with Edmonton Police Services where they send me people who want or need to get in shape uh, as they're in the application process um, before they're accepted and I find that there's two types. There are a lot of people who come in and they're very much already lifestyle-minded like what they envision being a police officer will be. And they usually come in pretty fit anyway. Sometimes it's just pushing them over the edge with my work with them. Or they're already ready to pass the physical. They just want to get really strong so that way they're strong in class. And then the second group tend to have a bit more of this mindset. They're generally not in shape. They're well-intentioned. But it feels like their attitude is that, well, once I get into the police, I will then live the lifestyle and act like a police officer. doesn't work that way. You'd better start that stuff now. So if it's just an everyday person who wants to get in shape, if you see yourself as a fit person, if you see yourself as a person who eats healthy, and that's part of your core identity, you're much more likely to do those things naturally without having to rely on willpower to do them. So the more that you can get in touch with this identity, be it an aspirational identity of where you want to be, or an identity that maybe you've lost a little touch with or is underneath. Channeling that identity and getting more in touch with it helps you behave more in line with that identity without, again, having to tap into willpower. The decisions become a lot easier. They become a lot more natural, more instinctive. They're more automatic default settings. And that usually leads to a lot of success. I like that way of putting it, and it kind of uh, pairs with uh, your advice from Brett Contreras on like being easy on your clients, like not not using demeaning language, because you would be messing with that person's identity, like how they would describe themselves. Because it's hard to be strong if you're walking around calling yourself weak because somebody said weak. People do this all the time. They, we are incredibly negative with how we think about ourselves. One, another one of my articles on my own website's about this. And if anybody remembers this Dove commercial from several years ago where they had women, I think it was all women, yeah. Women sit down in front of a sketch artist and describe themselves. But prior to this, they had sat in front of a stranger. They didn't know what was going on. And they also had that stranger sit in front of the sketch artist. Now, the sketch artist couldn't see anyone. It was all description-based. And so the stranger described the woman and the woman described herself. And then the commercial shows the two portraits of the women. The women describe themselves um, as less attractive, as, as sadder, whereas the stranger sees them in a more positive light and describes them much more kindly. And if you think about this, how many times have you heard people who don't know each other, who have no relationship to each other, all say the same kind and positive things about you, but it's inconsistent with your own vision of yourself and you tend to dismiss these things, you don't believe them. Well, what do you think is true? There's a conspiracy to bullshit you and lie to you about how you look and how 
how athletic you look, how thin you are, how beautiful you are, how attractive you are, or or you're right, and, and, and you're right, or maybe you're the one who's wrong, maybe it's your skewed perception. So the, the article goes into depth on this whole idea, and we just have really negative and unkind thoughts about ourselves. So it helps to start realizing, wait a second, I am seeing the world and myself through a lens, through a filter that isn't fair, it isn't true, it's not honest, we're not being honest with ourselves. And you start to actually understand that a little bit, you start to believe other people. I have a lot of friends in my life that you say something nice to them, and absolutely, this is much more prevalent than women and men in, in my personal experience. Um, I know lots of women who cannot comfortably accept compliments. Um, they're just, they're conditioned that way. Um, I think there's guys out there too like that, but again, like I said, I think it's more prevalent in women. And they're brainwashed in this really horrible way and be it the way that they grew up, parental stuff, whatever else watching, like reading too many Cosmopolitan magazines. People talk about social media now and Photoshopping photos and all this sort of stuff. Cosmo and all these other glamour magazines have been doing this crap for a long time. So women have been dealing with these unrealistic beauty standards for a very long time. So it's no wonder this stuff's true. I mean, men, we, the joke is like, we, we have He-Man. Like, well, who the hell is going to live up to that, right? But I, I really don't think men are quite as affected by it. We are, absolutely. You get J Jason Momoa running around and now all of a sudden there's this whole thing with... Momoa's on vacation and there's like a dad bod photo of him where he's not as ripped as usual and of course you look at him he still looks fantastic so the joke is some guy wrote he's like yeah if this if Momoa's getting body shaved now I'm never taking my shirt off again in public ever. Totally yeah. It, it's just our fucked up society and unrealistic expectations but yeah we are not honest with ourselves how we see ourselves even for me and, and, I, and I think we'll use the term body dysmorphia and I think I'm actually pretty good because I'm conscious of how I look but People will describe and react to me in a way that I find is inconsistent with what I see in the mirror. And I'm still, I'm, I'm not someone to beat myself up. So I, I'm not lacking in that kind of confidence, not to say that it skews the other way with, with overblown arrogance or, or conceit, but I feel pretty good about where I am, but I, I'm conscious of these things. So I try to be more honest, intellectually honest about where I am. But I think a lot of people are struggling with this stuff. So hopefully anyone and trainers listening to this stuff, you can just start to get people you work with or yourself to understand that maybe you're the one who's lying, maybe everybody else is telling the truth. For sure. Because it directs like the trajectory of all your goals and like the things that you want in life, just how you describe yourself. And like, it's like you say, when other people describe you a certain way and then you're disagreeing consistently, then that's not going to serve you at all. Like you're kind of in control of your outcome. You can have a great trainer, but it's what you say about yourself that matters at the end. I like what you just said there. You're in control of your own, own outcome. So I, I like the questions because they're hitting on a lot of core philosophical stuff, how I approach my own life, but how I approach clients. One of my favorite books, and, and anyone who knows me much knows that I read a lot or, or listen to a lot of audiobooks. One of my favorite books that I was reading at a critical time in my life is Ryan Holiday's The Obstacles Away. And the book zeroes in on a couple things. One of the major ones is, and I believe in this, you, we have the ability to control our attitude in the face of events beyond our control. There's going to be a lot of crap that's going to happen in your life. And you have a choice. You can be destroyed by it and be miserable and, and sulk and, and be sad and that will accomplish nothing. And you have every right to be upset about bad things that happen. Someone breaks up with you. you know, a relationship goes badly. You lose a job. Whatever. But we have the ability to decide and take action in the face of whatever happens. And in some cases, and, and what happened to me is, um, and I won't get into too much detail, but 
you know, my departure, my choice to leave my former employer was, was based on just an environment that became hostile and something I couldn't continue to be in. I was dealing with harassment and, and lies and, and a lot of other really problematic stuff due to some really unethical behavior that was going on by some other staff. Um, who were and I was an opponent to their their behavior. Uh, we're talking about a multi-level marketing scam and some sexual harassment. And so, because I was a vocal opponent to this sort of stuff, and they'd found a way to try to put me get me into trouble to the point where I decided I have to leave. I can't continue to do this anymore. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Being feeling like I could not stay made me realize that I had this other great opportunity that the owner of Evolve, John Chung, who's become a really good friend had wanted me to come over to him and so going over it was scary you're going out on your own you're starting over again but it worked really well really quickly and i built back up again and it's been the best thing ever happened uh, i make a lot more money not working for uh, a gym chain that's taking a healthy percentage of it i have a lot more freedom and it's exactly what allowed me the freedom to go to these conference events travel um, and have a podcast right because now i can within reason, more or less say what I want. Totally. And I'll bear the consequences myself, but I, uh, I don't have to worry about getting fired over it. So, and I'm not in the habit of saying really, really awful, awful things. So you always are in control, right? And even if something happens that doesn't work out in your favor, you can continue to work hard at it. You can choose the next step. And if you are always working diligently towards a positive outcome, if you are, have a positive attitude about it, Sooner or later, over an aggregate amount of time, the wins will add up more than the losses do, and you'll do well. And yeah, you know, it's easy to say that looking back, but that's a lot of what's happened to me in my career. Yeah. So I want to talk about your cat because he's very special to you. What are your three favorite things about him? He's a pain in my ass. <laughs> uh, my three favorite things. He only coughs up hairballs about once every six months, so he's not too bad. Uh, he the. That's a rip up most of my furniture. No, he's he's his big fluffy cuddle ball. Um, his name's Ozzy, so he's about almost eight years old. He's he greets me at the door every time I come home. I always pick him up and hug him and nuzzle him for thirty seconds. It's kind of a ritual we've had for years. He gets kind of annoyed with me if I take off for three or four days on a conference trip, and you know, he does the thing that cats do when they sulk for like the first day, and then then when you're back, he's cuddly as hell, a little overly overly cuddly. He's company. He's he's my my companion. I mean, I I briefly had a friend stay over as a roommate just to help her out of a shitty situation, but other than that, I haven't lived with anyone in a very very long time, and so he's my company. Yeah. And so come home, and yeah, you had you had a bad day, you're not feeling so hot, whatever. He's still there, right? So having that kind of companion is actually pretty cool. Super important. Like I see a lot of trainers have dogs and cats, and it's just like. It's such a common thing because we're putting so much of ourselves into other people that we need some way to fill our cup. That's like my favorite thing about having a podcast is because I'm consistently seeing like one or two people a week. Sometimes people, they just want to visit, go for coffee. I never turn that down because like, what's two bucks? Like you're always going to learn something new from somebody and it's going to put you in that positive mindset that helps you like make better choices for yourself, even if they're micro choices. If you were to reflect on your last seven days, um, what's the moment that you were the most proud of? Last seven days are tough. Um, I'm not going to go into detail 
Um, I've been working through some personal stuff and just a couple days ago, came out the other side, felt a lot better about something, you know, deciding to sort of set something behind me, move on, you know, from something that was, you know, part of my life and focus forward. Um, that's, that's a, that's a pretty tough one, but I'll set that aside. There's also some other stuff too. So I had, I had a client who kind of broke a commitment. So I was sort of upset and frustrated there, but that can happen again. You control your own attitude. But when you turn around, instead of being upset about these sort of things, you certainly don't turn around and take it out on a client or be angry about it. You channel positivity and goodness into your clients that you have and be appreciative and, and, and don't bring negative energy to their experience because they didn't do anything wrong. Reward the people who show up, not the people, you know, like don't take out on the good people when like some other ones cancel. Some people will just be unreliable. That's part of it. And then just out of nowhere on Wednesday, one of my great clients who's really consistent, you know, he's a young hockey player, he'll skate in the WHL next year. His dad is an old friend of mine, so his dad just shows up with him on Wednesday. He's talking about coming back for a while. He had some injury issues. So he showed up, him and his girlfriend showed up, and they're gonna be regulars again, which is really exciting. So his father is not always able to be consistent because he's a, a big industrialist, but uh, his girlfriend's gonna schedule regularly and he's gonna join when he can. So I'll, I'll have uh, my young guy, he's gonna be gone at the end of August back down to, uh, to Seattle. But I'll be coaching him online, so there's that. But then instead of losing a three-time week client, I've actually got extra for a while, and I've got some great people to work with ongoing. So again, it goes back to controlling your attitude. You know, if you get frustrated and stressed out because you know something doesn't work out with a client or a client moves away, I've had clients move away recently. Instead, if you keep doing all of the basic things, all the professional stuff we talked about earlier, you have a really good attitude. You keep putting up positive things through social media, which does matter because people still need to see that then just unexpected good stuff happens. You get emails, you know, people contact you. I can't count the number of times, you know, the number of clients I currently have who before, like they popped up out of nowhere through an email or referral, I didn't know about them and I didn't know where that next client was gonna come from. Yeah. But if you keep doing good things in your career, there'll always be more clients. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how real that is. Like, I haven't had that long of a career, but I've already experienced that where I was like, holy shit, how is this going to work? And then all of a sudden, like somebody referred me like two people. And then those two people are talking about bringing in family members and stuff. I'm like, wow, like that's crazy. And then I like how you kind of, you alluded to how you can go through a tough moment within seven days. Like people are going to look at a person's social media, someone who would, they would see as, like un unstoppable. Like you look like Tormund from Game of Thrones. Like <laughs> how how could something possibly mess with you? But you're human, just like anybody else, just like your clients. Stuff messes with me all the time. Yeah, totally. I think I have my professional shit together really great. I've kinda sorta known for having a, a like kind of a messy personal life if that makes sense, but it's nothing terrible. Um, but yeah, like stuff can happen, right? You can have fights with friends or you know, like relationship trouble certainly, you know, can be a big one in people's lives and just sometimes stuff doesn't work out. I think if you've got your professional shit in order, it actually really can buffer you against the ups and downs of personal stuff. Then again, if you've also got a really, really stable, amazing personal life, it can be a really incredible foundation to have your big build your professional stuff on. So kind of better have one or the other. If both are a mess, you're probably in trouble. And I think you have to look at what are your guidance and behaviors that if someone's 
professional life is really, really good. There's probably a bunch of fundamentals and behaviors that are solid, that are rock solid, you're doing well, keep doing them. But if the professional life's a mess, well, okay, look at what the principles are guiding this. What's the underlying cause? You're the common thread. Same thing's true of personal life. What are the decisions you consistently make? Why are the, the personal elements problematic? Okay, you gotta address that, realize, okay, well, you're the common denominator. There's a problem here too. You keep allowing this, this stuff to happen. If it's other people who are always doing certain things, well, you're the one who allows this stuff. And it yeah. goes back to, you know, you control your attitude and you, and you control your actions in the face of things that are beyond your control. Learning about yourself is a pretty powerful thing. Like it can uh, make a lot of changes in your life which is the, the wonderful thing about like this industry is because as we learn how to teach other people about their physical abilities, we in turn learn more and more each time about our own abilities, just kind of seeing it through another person's lens. So there's a question that I ask all of my guests and it's if you could give one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest and the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? I think we already went over it, and I think it is choosing your, your attitude and your actions in the face of the things that are, are beyond your control. I don't think there's anything better than that because, again, if you constantly choose to act in ways that will better you, even if you are hurt, even if somebody has done something unfair to you, even if you've had bad luck, because luck plays a far greater role in this stuff. Uh, if you look at poker, again, not I'm not... For someone who dealt poker, I don't have a particular passion for poker, but it's a good example here. There are players who consistently win, and there are players who always lose. And then people who believe, that, well, it's just the luck of the cards. Well, why do people consistently win? Because of a, a skill set that they have. And if they play enough hands over a large enough like time period, they win because the luck continues to work for them. When they get unlucky, that it gets averaged out by the number of opportunities. If in your life, a bunch of bad things happen to you, but you keep doing good things, the principal discipline things that, if you're out into the world and meeting people, if you are getting potential clients in front of you, all of these different encounters that add up over weeks, months, and years, if you have a good attitude, if you're professional, if you treat people well, the few pieces of bad luck will be more than washed away by the overwhelming amount of things that happen to you because you did good. You you act in such a way that you bring good to you, and then you'll also have some really good luck. Again, all the stuff that the good stuff that happened in my career, luck space in that I chose a certain gym to walk into to join. That later on the staff, well, it was it was a a guy that was a friend of mine at the time was training with a trainer. And because we interacted, the trainer got to know me a little bit, and then that trainer kept asking me to work there. If I wasn't friends with that poker player from the, the casino, if I hadn't gone to work at that job and stayed there to meet that person, then maybe this training career doesn't happen. You can keep looking for these sort of little little coincidences. Then if I didn't get assigned one of my first clients, uh, there was a, I was asked to write a, a piece that was part of a larger article with a bunch of trainers for the Personal Trainer Development Center about my first client, one of my first clients turned into a chain of referrals that has led to thousands of sessions over the course of, you know, again, almost nine years. Um, a family that's been a big part of my life. Um, you know, I've gone to, one of them has become a really good friend of mine. I went to his wedding. It's just not even sensible what good has come out of this, just because I got lucky enough to be assigned that first client um, who could have been assigned to anybody. There's just been a shit ton of luck in all this stuff. The luck of 
meeting some of the people I, I met, looking at a certain thread. I write for Teen Nation because I was looking at Facebook one day. I saw that Danny Sugart, who's one of the editors, she's the wife of Chris Sugart, who's one of the, he's a senior editor, and she we never met in person, but we had a lot of mutual friends. She commented on so. I sent her a Facebook friend request, I sent her a message, and I said hi. And very quickly she responded, we got talking, I mentioned how we had, we had a podcast, and I thought she'd be a great guest in the near future. So I go back to her a week later, and I'm like, hey, you know, like I, we actually have a spot, would you be interested in the episode? She's like, yeah, like, I love your podcast, I've been listening to it. I'm like, holy shit, she just dove right in. So we brought her on, she was sensational, it's a great episode, and then just, again, just get to know her a little bit through social media and very quickly she turned around I guess having read some of my stuff and asked me hey would you consider and she was all humble like thinking I wouldn't even say yes would you like to contribute to nation my head's exploding going oh my god okay yeah and so you know it took me a little while to to submit something get something together and then it took them a little bit to publish it but then once it's published like it seemed like the internet exploded and now it's been six months of contributions and a number of articles and that's luck, right? A lot of this stuff is steep in luck, but you also put yourself in a position to benefit from that luck by educating yourself, having a positive attitude. So, yeah, control your own attitude, control your own actions. Totally. I remember that moment. It was good, like, just being, at that point, I was at the gym, so I got to sort of see in person, like, how that affected you, how, how that made your day, pretty much, and just watching from a closer perspective how your career has unfolded, which was why it was such good timing to like wait till you had a few articles out and then get you on the podcast sure so i'm very honored that you joined me today honored to be asked thanks for your time we'll see you at the gym my pleasure thank you for listening if you are intrigued about the podcast that andrew coates and dean guido host it is called the fitness devil you can check it out find it on all the major podcast platforms it's a podcast in which I am lucky to have met some of the guests in person at the fitness summit that I went to with Andrew this past, uh, this past spring, and they are good humans. So it's worth checking out, worth listening to. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. Hopefully you are intrigued and inclined to listen to more, because if you know who Andrew is, there's a good chance that you know who several of the other guests are, whether you're Edmonton-based or not. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.